good evening, everyone. I appreciate it, but it's the response isn't needed. But thank you, though. It has been a wonderful night so far, and what a joy it is to be here, and what a joy it is for you to be here, uh, and what a blessing it is that we get to spend this time one with another. Uh, I was encouraged whenever I heard Brother Jacob's message. Uh, I really enjoyed the one from last year. It was just kind of fast. I still think about the one from last year. And it would have been nice to hear that one kind of slower, but but I, I still think about that that message from last year. And uh, what a joy it is to be here with you all tonight. What a privilege it is, and what a blessing it is to see you all here. And we look forward to uh, what the new year has in store for you. Uh, I'm not much of a theme kind of guy. Um, uh, I don't... I didn't really think about a New Year's thought, um, but nevertheless, I, I do have something I believe would be helpful. I uh, I wanted to say this, though. This thought came into my mind. This thought came into my mind earlier this week, and it was funny that he had said that. Brother Jacob had said that about his training, and he made reference to the military training. And throughout this week, I, I've been I've been meditating on the way that a man's mentors mold him and what goes into that aspect of him uh, being molded into uh, the servant of the Lord that he will become. And I had thought about that and had been thinking about it. And I thought about, in times past, about some things... And whenever I began to think about how a man is molded by his mentors, a lot of times it is, it's very uncomfortable and you don't, you don't really know why. Uh, and at first it's, it's kind of difficult to process. Now, what I mean by that when I say how a person is molded by his mentors, that those that he serves with, and you see people... And I don't anybody way mean this. There's no one here in, in in particular that I'm that I'm thinking about. But you hear people, and when they they'll get up and they'll they'll preach a message. Not too long ago, I heard a message about how and I'm going somewhere with this, and this is going to be in relation to my mentors. Those have have helped me. But not too long ago, I heard a message where a guy. Man gets up, he's preaching a message, and he's going, and he's just, he's, he's preaching, preaching, preaching. And uh, he says, well, the Holy Ghost wants, uh, wants us all to go to the altar. The Holy Ghost says, come to the altar. And, uh, and, and we didn't go. We didn't go, which is fine. People say things. Uh, in the heat of the moment and stuff like it happens. It's just the fall- men are fallible. And 30 minutes later, the thought is then interjected to the people, well, if I don't obey God, 
then the entire meeting is over and everything's been a failure based upon how I react to what I perceive God telling me to do. And I thought about that being a younger man as I, as I sit under my pastor and the people that I go to church with. And when I looked at that, then I, it made me think about the people that have trained me and the kind of training that I've received from them because as I've seen that, I notice that sometimes men say dumb things. I've been, this is the only church that I've ever been a member of, and I know all of y'all have heard me say very stupid things. Men, I know. You get up and you say stupid things. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, whenever I look and see somebody that, that might, uh, somebody that didn't have necessarily the kind of training that another person might have. Let me put it this way. When I would say stupid stuff, I would have a handful of men that would tell me to shut up. My preaching is not good. Uh, no, and it's, and it's, I like it. Because you want to know why? Because as a person gets older, you realize when they get up old in age, they're past correction. Okay? And you realize that they never had a... And I'm, I'm not insulting Anybody in general, I'm just saying they never had a group of people that would say, stop saying stupid stuff. Fix your preaching. They, they didn't have that. And so when they don't have that, when, when they get up to older age, I mean, the brother made reference to child training, and the same goes for uh, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Well, those faithful men keep you in check and in line so when you get out of line and say something stupid, they come to you and fix that and make sure that you do not... Do you see what I'm saying? Because if, if someone doesn't have that, by the time you get to be 60, everything you think is what God says, even though it's not what God says, and what I think goes, and if you disagree with what I think, then you're going against God. Does that make sense? And I'm thankful for the people that have been in my life, that have... At first, I hated it. I used to hate it. I'd think, man, these guys won't just leave me alone. Every time I do something, they just, they're all over me about something. Every time. And, I, and I, I began to learn, and I thought about that, and I thought, as you see someone preaching, that there are elements in their uh, delivery, if I could use it in that way, that have not been corrected, that have, have went unchecked. So by the time you get to that age, it's too late. Like that one brother said, they're mixed up and well set. They're set in their ways. And you can't fix that. And my training was having a bunch of old men tell me to shut up and to fix my preaching and working on me like that. That was my training. And I'm thankful for that. At first I wasn't. I used to hate it. But now I'm thankful for it. And I appreciate it. I want you all to know that. A few weeks ago, I was encouraged as I get into my thought. We're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 9. I was encouraged uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and uh, a thought began to cultivate. Uh, I began to cultivate a thought. And 
I began to work on a thought, and, and the wonderful thing about not having to deliver a thought every week is I could just work on that same thing over and over and over. Uh, and for those that do have to do, continuously preach messages week in and week out, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. But here in 2 Samuel chapter number 9 is where we're going to be at. I want to read the entire chapter, but we're going to start at verse number 1. We're going to conclude at 13, but we're going to have a midway stop point because I have somewhere that I want to go. And here we are in the book of 2 Samuel. Now we're going to read it, and then I'm going to tell you my thought, and then we're going to continue on. 2 Samuel chapter number 9, verse number 1, and... David said, Is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a house of Saul, a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. Verse number 3, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may shew the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? I want to stop right here before we pray, but I want to tell you the thought that I like to preach on this evening. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. I want to preach on salvation, inheritance, and sonship. Right here in verse number 4, as we read it again, And the king said unto him, Where is he? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the wonderful night. Thank you for the blessings of the service, the singing, the message we've heard so far. We pray that you would help us, Lord, that it would be done to the edifying of the church. Praise you might help us and that the people might receive a spiritual blessing. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We pray, as we're here tonight, that encouraged to hear about the new year, that we would go into the new year with another vision to serve you and to reverence and worship you. We thank you for your love and your care, and we pray that you'd help us tonight. We do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, the events leading up to David has already been established king. If you remember early on in his life, in the very beginning, even from the time whenever he slain Goliath, even after that whenever he was anointed king, and then after he slays Goliath, I want to back up, but after he slays Goliath, he meets Saul, and he becomes Saul's armor bearer. He, be, he becomes uh, a mighty and valiant warrior for Saul in the house of Saul. And whenever David killed Goliath and they came back into the city, they said, Saul hath slain thousands, but David hath slain ten thousands. And ever since that day, Saul had begun to eye David, and, and it caused friction between the two. Now, after this had taken place, Saul begins to hunt down David. David is on the run fleeing from Saul. 
He would go to this place, and when Saul would find out where he was, he would go to this place, and then Saul would come there, and a lot of times David would just barely escape, and he would get away from Saul. There were times whenever Saul would be off guard and falling asleep, and David would be right there. But whenever I find interesting, whenever I read in the book of 2 Samuel, and we'll get into it later on, but I wanted to talk about how Jonathan makes that covenant with David several years ago. Jonathan makes a covenant with David, okay? Now, the covenant didn't come to pass immediately, but it came to pass later on, after the death of Jonathan. Now, there's about four different applications that are going to be enwrapped in this one thought. So if you pay close attention, you'll be able to understand what it is. But if you don't get all four and you only get one, that'll be okay. Because it's designed that way. See what I'm saying? So here is David right here. After that time passes, he becomes king. He's anointed king over uh, Judah. Later on, two chapters later, he's anointed king over Israel. And then now David is established and set up on his throne as the king of Israel. So now David is no longer running from Saul. And as his throne is established, he remembers his covenant that he made with Jonathan several years down ago. And now he remembers his covenant, and the first thing in verse number one, he says, Is there any that is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, the covenant between Jonathan and David is very, very important because that's the reason why Mephibosheth here receives the kindness that is bestowed upon him from David as a result of Jonathan. And as we go down here later on in the chapter, we're going to see several things here. But I want to point out first, whenever you look in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, he just desires to show him kindness. Now, Mephibosheth is not named specifically, but later on he will be. So I want to notice after that, let's keep on reading in verse number 5. He says, Then David sent and fetched him. I'm sorry, let's back up. Verse number 4, And the king said, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to his house." Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table... And one of the king's son, as one of the king's sons, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on 
both of his feet. So here is Mephibosheth and David after sending Ziba to inquire of Mephibosheth. Now this lame man is brought before the great king. And what a wonderful picture and a story of three things whenever you read this. Whenever you see the story in the picture of Mephibosheth, you see salvation, inheritance, and sonship. And whenever you look at this, and we read this together, there's nowhere that Mephibosheth did anything for the king. There, there, he was a lame man. There, Mephibosheth wasn't able to do anything for the king. And it's important to understand that Mephibosheth didn't work to obtain the king's favor. He was a lame man. And there was nothing that Mephibosheth, there was no power that he had within himself to obtain or work to get the king's favor. He was a lame man. If you remember in 2 Samuel chapter number 4, in verse number 4, after they had found out that Saul and Jonathan had died in the war, after that there was a battle and there was, a, there was an army that was coming that way and the nurse of Mephibosheth picked him up in a hurry and ran and dropped and he was corrupted by the fall. So the man Mephibosheth didn't work to obtain the king's favor and he couldn't because he had been corrupted by a fall. He had been corrupted from being in a state to where he was any good or of any use at all. He had been corrupted by the fall. And not only that, but it wasn't his fault because he was five years old whenever he fell. So whenever Mephibosheth fell, his fall was as a result of another. There was another person that took part in his fall that was of no control over his own. And whenever I began to think about the circumstances of Mephibosheth, I began to think about the fall of man. And I began to think about how you and I are fallen in Adam. Mephibosheth fell as a result that it wasn't his fault why he fell, though he was still stuck in the circumstances surrounding the fall. Does that make sense? And you and I, as fallen creatures in Adam, are still subject under the circumstances of the fall, though it was not your, your, your fault or yourself or your own. Does that make sense? In Genesis, he says, and, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and a, desired, and a tree it was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And she also gave unto her husband, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so the fall of man was as a result of another. You are corrupt and I am corrupt based upon who we are connected to in Adam, though it is no fault of our own. So whenever I began to think about Mephibosheth, I think about several things. Not only has he been corrupted by the fall, but he's an enemy of David's house. If you remember earlier on in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 18 and verse number 22, it says there was long war between David's house and between Saul's house. And there was long war and Saul became David's enemy continually. So not only is Mephibosheth in a bad circumstance right now because he's been corrupted by a fall, but he's also an enemy of the king's house. Okay, because of who he is connected to. Mephibosheth is connected to the house of Saul. And the house of Saul is an enemy and at enmity with King David. So you could say he's an enemy of the king based upon who he's connected to. And we're going to bring this up later on here in the thought about Jonathan because it's going to play a part in that too about how Mephibosheth receives that inheritance. But right now here, Mephibosheth is an enemy of the king based upon who he's connected to. 
And in Romans chapter number 5, verse number 14, it says, And death reigned upon all men, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, not even after them that had sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So, I want to say this, that Mephibosheth wasn't responsible whenever Saul sent David out to go get 204 skins of the Philistines. Now, whenever, as Saul began, began to become David's enemy more and more continually, and the things that Saul was doing, Mephibosheth didn't have any part of. He, he didn't send him to go get 204 skins of the Philistines. He didn't try to throw a javelin at him. He didn't try to do these things, and yet he was still an enemy of the king because he was connected to Saul. And you and I might not have sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, but even though we haven't sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, we're still guilty because of who we're connected to. Mephibosheth was an enemy of the king because he's connected to Saul, and you and I are enemies of the king because we're connected to Adam in our natural man. Does that make sense? So here he is right here, back in our text. If you look, if you look back here, now the king is looking to bestow the kindness of God upon somebody for Jonathan's sake. So he's an enemy of the king based upon, he's, based upon who he's connected to, but he, he begins to show kindness to somebody for Jonathan's sake. And I wrote down the thought of kindness or the definition thereof, and I want to say it. It says, goodwill, benevolence, that temper or disposition which delights in contributing to the happiness of others which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, or alleviating their distresses. So the king wanted to bestow kindness upon Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. And I want to say that the king, our king, bestows his kindness upon us for Christ's sake. And that's the reason why we receive the mercy of God and the kindness of God is given to us, not because of who we are. He didn't receive the mercy of God because he was Mephibosheth. He received the mercy of God because he was connected to Jonathan. And you and I receive the mercy of God, not because we're connected to Adam, but because we're connected to Christ. And if we're connected to Christ, God bestows his kindness upon us for Christ's sake. In the book of Titus, chapter number 3, it says, For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasure, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that, the kindness of God and love of God toward man, or toward our Savior, toward man, appeared. Not by works of righteousness. He didn't work to became the king's favorite, and neither do we. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So it's only according to his mercy that he saved us. It was, only, it was only David's mercy that he wanted to bestow. You know, David didn't have to uphold that covenant he made between him and Jonathan. There were a lot of other wicked kings that were in that day. And David, could have, he could have said, I don't want to uphold this covenant. He could have made that decision. He could have just wiped out Saul's house and not upheld the covenant and left him alone. You know, God could have left you and me alone in our house of desolation, but there was a day whenever our great king desired that we would come into his presence. And there was a day whenever Mephibosheth went, and uh, Ziba went to Mephibosheth, and he began to tell him, I could just imagine it, how Ziba goes to Mephibosheth, and he begins to say, uh, Mephibosheth, the, the king is calling for you, Mephibosheth. And I can just imagine his response and what he thought about when man, King David's calling me. When the king begins to call you, it's not just an ordinary day. And the day the king called you, it was not just an ordinary day. Has the king ever called you into his presence? Amen. Good. 
But here, the king wanted to bestow the kindness of God upon him for Jonathan's sake. In Ephesians chapter number 2, it says that, the, that Paul writes that in the ages to come, he might show unto his, his kindness through Jesus Christ. It talks about showing, bestowing his kindness upon us. That in the ages to come, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things that are in heaven and earth, and earth, heaven above and the earth beneath, right? They, but it says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So he received an inheritance later on because he was who he was connected to. But let's keep going. So right here in verse number 5, King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, out of a meal from Lodabar. Now, verse number 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. So now Mephibosheth is reverencing the king. Now, here in back a few verses a minute ago, whenever the king sent and fetched him, he had not been there yet. Okay? So the king still had to fetch Mephibosheth, but there was a process by which he had to get there. Now, if you look here in verse number 5, I'm sorry, verse number 4, whenever we stopped reading that before it was, in a, it was in a general sense that the king was looking for somebody out of the house of Saul. It was in a, in a generic general sense. Is there any that is left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? Is there any of them at all? It wasn't anybody specifically. But whenever Ziba told the king about Mephibosheth, the, it was generally, but after he was notified about Mephibosheth, it became specifically... So there was a general call, and then there was a specific call. You understand where I'm going with that? There was a general call, and then there was a specific call. Generally, he said, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God unto? So it's, it was for whosoever will. The, the prerequisite was being connected to the house of Saul. You know, the gospel, for those of us that are connected to Adam, is whosoever will. But that's the general call. But the specific call is whenever God, or whenever the king called Mephibosheth. Now, here we are right here, and the king begins to inquire about Mephibosheth specifically. And I began to think about a general call and a specific call, and then I thought about John 3, verse 16, how it says, For God so loved the world, that's generally, that whosoever believeth in him, that specifically, should not perish but have eternal life. So the world is generally... And whosoever believeth is specifically. And I began to think about how Mephibosheth and the king were interacting one with another. And now Mephibosheth, as he's brought into the presence of the king, the king begins to inquire about him specifically. And the king became interested in where Mephibosheth was. The king became interested. So not only was somebody in the house of Saul, but the king now becomes interested in where Mephibosheth was. And I thank God for the day that the king was interested in where I was. When the king called and sent somebody after me. Is there, has there been, was there somebody that was sent after you that the king sent and brought you unto himself specifically? Because if you're saved, you've got to have that. Somebody has to bring you to the king specifically. Now Mephibosheth just didn't wake up one day and just go, I'm going to go walk to the king to myself. You know what, I'm going to go. He was an enemy of the king. He was staying far away. He was alienated and without hope and without God in the world if I can use it that way. Sure. Mephibosheth didn't wake up and say, I'm going I'm to go to King David today. <laughs> Here, I'm going I'm to go to King David and uh, everything's going to be all right. And I'm going to walk right in there and tell him, He's, you're, you know what, you're going to give me Saul's inheritance. Are you going to give my father's inheritance? No. 
Mephibosheth was an enemy of the king. He didn't want to go anywhere near the king. And whenever, a matter of fact, whenever he came into his presence, he said, Mephibosheth, fear not. So he was afraid of the king already. So Mephibosheth comes into his presence and the king becomes interested in him specifically. And what you need here tonight, if you're not born again by the grace of God, is for the king to get interested in you specifically. That's very important and you've got to have that. As we keep reading, I wrote this down because I wanted to get it right. The king became interested in where he was. Now, look in verse number 5. I want to say this, that the king used another person to bring Mephibosheth into his presence. Then the king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, out of a meal from Lodabar. So he uses somebody else to bring him unto himself. That's what I was saying a minute ago, that Mephibosheth just didn't walk into the king's presence. Somebody else brought him there. Somebody had to go send a message to say that the king's calling for you. Now, even though the message went to Mephibosheth about the king that was calling for him, he still had a responsibility and an obligation to respond to the king's calling. Does that make sense? So salvation, it's, there, there's, there's an aspect in salvation where there is a total part that's God's part, but you have an obligation to, by faith, put your faith and trust in what he did on Calvary's cross for you. Now, that's that salvation aspect. So here, uh, he uses another person to bring him into his presence. And it says that David sent and fetched him from Lodabar. So not only does he, be, he begin to take a general interest in the whereabouts of Mephibosheth, but now he begins to go through the process of where now he's beginning to send and fetch for him. Now the king is beginning to take an interest in him. Now the king is beginning to go and look for him, sending messengers for him. He begins to send messengers to Mephibosheth. And I think about the day when Mephibosheth heard the word that the king was looking for him. And I rejoice and I'm so thankful to God today that there was a day when the king came looking for me. Has that happened for you? When the king has come looking for you? The king sent another person to inquire about Mephibosheth. But now he's here in the presence of the king. Jeremiah 31 says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, that drawing is something that's lacking today. We don't have that today. And it takes a work of God that God does that the sinner cannot do for themselves. He has a responsibility and an obligation to respond. Okay? I'm not talking about hard shell election. Okay? The sinner has a responsibility to respond. But God is the one that does the drawing. And he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I know it's a different context, but I'm just making an application here. With loving kindness have I drawn me. And... What I'm saying is the king had to use, a, or Mephibosheth had to, had to use another person to come into his prayer. The king had to send a message to him. You understand what I'm trying to say? And so now Mephibosheth is in the presence of the king, and I began to think about his interaction with the king, how Mephibosheth didn't just walk into the king and start demanding from him, but I thought about the mannerism of Mephibosheth. So here he is right here in verse number 6 of 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. So this is the response. So he hears the message. The king, excuse me, the king is calling for him. And now here is the response to the message. When Mephibosheth was come unto David. So now Mephibosheth comes unto David and he falls on his face. His mannerism, he falls on his face. 
And he reverences the king. He doesn't come to the presence of the king with a stiff neck. He doesn't come and say, uh, you took away the kingdom from my father Saul. He comes in with a humble heart. You know, James says, God resists the proud, but he gives a grace unto the humble. And if you'll receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul, if you're not here and you're not born again tonight, you might receive something from a holy and a heavenly God that you didn't come here with tonight. Does that make sense? And I'm thankful for that. When God revealed His Son in me, you know, He said that about Paul, God, He revealed His Son in me. Immediately when He revealed His Son in me, He said, well, I conferred not with flesh and blood, but I went to go preach Him among the heathen. So there was a, a revealing that God revealed Himself, and that's what He does to the sinner. And if you would ever understand that or ever get that, that God reveals Himself to you supernaturally that you don't possess inwardly to obtain by yourself. But we still have a responsibility to respond to the king's call and the king's message. Figure that one out. You have to to respond to something you do not have the ability to respond to. But that's exercising that faith. So here he is, the mannerism of Mephibosheth. He honored, not only did he obey the king's call, but he honored the king when he came. And when the sinner comes on the terms and conditions of the gospel. It's not unconditional. There are terms and conditions of the gospel. It's repentance and faith. I mean, even I was talking to my brother back there. We were talking about election. And even them Jews that are sealed in their forehead, it's conditional because you got to be a Jew. Salvation's conditional. And you have to respond on the terms and conditions of the gospel. So here Mephibosheth has come now into the presence of the king and his mannerism is one of humility. He's come with humility. And that's the way that we should approach our king is with the mannerism of humility, with an attitude of humility, with a spirit of humility. Right. So when he approaches unto King David, here he is, he's terrified. He, he knows that he knows who he's connected to. You know, he, and, and when the king starts dealing with you, you don't have to have a Bible study course on who you're connected to. Does that make sense? When God starts dealing with you about who you are in His sight, and if you're born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't need somebody to reveal to you who you are in His sight. He does that for you, showing you your corrupt nature before Him and where you stand. Mephibosheth knew he was an enemy of the king. He was connected to Saul. And tonight, one thing I can say, if God would ever do something for you, you should pray to God tonight that He would show you that you are an enemy of the King. I want to testify to you that there was a day whenever He did that for me. He showed me that I was an enemy of the King and that I was guilty of transgressing. And even though I didn't uh, battle with the circumcision of the Philistines and take all the foreskins and throw the javelin, even though I didn't eat of the fruit, you didn't eat of the fruit, you're still guilty because you're connected to a person though you haven't done it. Does that make sense? Mephibosheth is guilty, but it's not his fault. But he can't say, it's not, David, I didn't do this. He has a, a responsibility to acknowledge the fact that he is guilty. Who is Mephibosheth to walk up in King David's face and to not acknowledge he's the guilty, wicked, ungodly person who's connected to Saul? Mephibosheth didn't walk in there and say, give me the kingdom back. Uh, you took it from uh, my grandfather Saul. and now that, But that's not how you approach unto the king. He came unto the king with reverence knowing that I'm an enemy of the king. And he has power to cut my heir off. 
And when God reveals unto you who you are, the first thing, one of the things you realize is, He's got power to cut my air off. And Mephibosheth here, the mannerism of Mephibosheth. No, in mannerism of Mephibosheth, but then there is the mindset of Mephibosheth. Let's look at seven, then we'll go down to eight. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. So now the king bestows mercy upon him. You know, there's a king that wants to bestow mercy upon you. There's a king that desires to bestow goodness upon you. But you've got to come into the presence of the king. The king sends you messenger after messenger. And Mephibosheth had a response that he wouldn't have received the inheritance of Saul. He didn't know the king was going to forgive him, by the way. You know, the night that I got saved, I didn't know that I was going to receive an inheritance, uncorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven, that faded not away for you. I didn't know I was going to receive an inheritance. I just wanted forgiveness from a holy God because I was a wicked transgressor. And there was a day when God revealed himself to me. And he showed me who I was. And that's what people are missing today in the gospel message. You can't take the Bible and intellectually con- convince a sinner with Romans 3.23 and just, if you'll believe 3.23 and 5.19 uh, and 7.14, if you'll just believe all that, agree on it, that we can get you in. Mephibosheth had to come, un- he had to come when David said come. When David said come, that's when Mephibosheth came. And that's something that's missing today. It, that, that, that holy calling is missing today. Paul said, our gospel came unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men you would, that we were among you for your sakes. And it takes that holy power of God that only God can do. I am only a vessel. It, God has to take the word supernaturally and use a fallen creature to supernaturally reveal to yourself who you are in his sight. And if God doesn't do that, you're a goner. That's a big amen. God's got to do that work. The king, first the king desires to bestow kindness. Do you know if you're here and you're not born again tonight, there's a king that desires to bestow kindness upon you? That you are fallen in Adam and you are ruined and corrupt in your nature and there is a God who is merciful that is saying, Come unto me. All ye that are heavy, that are all come, come to me. How do you, somebody help me finish it? Weary and heavy laden. For I am meek and lonely. Learn of me and ye shall find rest unto your soul. So Mephibosheth had a responsibility. You've got a responsibility to respond to the king's call. So here he is. Oh, the mannerism, but the mindset. He says in verse number, I want to show you what he says. He said he bowed himself in his mannerism and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And so his acknowledgement of who he was. You know, that's what God requires of the sinner is just to acknowledge to him who he is. That's, that's what God requires. To, to acknowledge transgression... Because until you acknowledge transgression, you don't receive the benefit of what acknowledging the transgression comes with. So here he is, the mindset of Mephibosheth. He says, who, and he, he, he responds appropriately. He said, I'm a dead dog. I'm a wicked, filthy, nasty dog. That's his response. 
He doesn't respond. He doesn't, he doesn't go all through all that, well, I'm not as bad as, as you think I am, David, and I'm not guilty of this. He doesn't say this. He comes right into the king's presence and says, I'm a filthy dog. And you won't get nothing from God until you come into the king's presence and acknowledge that you are a filthy dog. And I want to testify to the people that are here tonight that there was a day whenever I did that. That's not me preaching. That's not me just, just browbeating people. That's a fact and reality in life. When you come unto the king's presence after he calls you and acknowledge who you are. So here is Mephibosheth, his mindset. He's, and I wrote this down. I want to get it right. I wrote, before you receive anything from the king's hand, you've got to see yourself as Mephibosheth did, as a dead dog. You know, dogs are just disgusting, filthy animals. They're disgusting. Okay? I know Marquis looking at me like I'm nuts, but... She looks at me like I'm just crazy, but it's just like I should have said that. They're disgusting animals. And he acknowledges the fact. What he's saying, I'm not, I'm not picking you apart if you've got a dog, Marquis. What I'm saying is, look, he, he acknowledged that he was the lowest of the low. There you go. He, he was an acknowledgement saying, this is what he was saying without saying it. David, you're right. I'm a filthy, wicked, nasty dog. You deserve to cut my head off because of what Saul did to you. But the king bestows kindness upon him, and he says, Mephibosheth, fear not. Now, because the king bestows kindness upon him, he says, Mephibosheth, fear not. And he falls on his face, and he said, Behold thy servant. And he says right here in verse number 7, I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. Isn't that good? Isn't that good that there's a king that says, I will bestow kindness upon you for Jonathan's sake? Now, earlier in the thought, what did I say? He was an enemy of the king based upon who he was connected to, Right? But now Mephibosheth receives kindness based upon who he was connected to, right? But they were both connected to Saul's house. So how does that work? They were both connected to Saul's house. I began to think about the nature of our Lord, how that he came and became a sinless, perfect sacrifice. And God is able to uphold his covenant because of his sinless son. That way, it's a, Hebrew says, likewise, he took upon himself part of the same. That is his nature, that he through death might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. You know what that means? That means Christ took upon himself part of the same. That means he had a body without a sinful nature. So Mephibosheth couldn't get that inheritance because he was connected to Saul, but then he turned around and receives it because he's connected to Jonathan. Does that make sense? Man, I'm telling you what, that's some good stuff. And there's a Savior that gives me an inheritance because I'm connected to him. I might not have a lot in this life, but I'm telling you what, looking forward, that that brother priest had a minute ago, I can look forward to what I'm going to receive in Christ. So right here, because of the king's kindness... Mephibosheth receives an inheritance. Right here, I'll read it, and I wrote it down, but I kind of reworded it because I didn't like the definition. The reception of an estate by hereditary right. So he receives an inheritance, a right, succession, or in the course of law by which an estate or title is cast on the heir as the heir receives an estate given or granted, given, granted, or possessed by donation or divine appropriation. So that had to be bestowed upon him. So he receives an inheritance because of the king's kindness, but it's because he is connected to Jonathan. Right. Now, let's look at in verse number, verse number 9. Go back to verse number 9. I'm sorry, not verse number 9. Where is it where the king says, I have given? 
Let's look at verse number 9. There it is right there. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given. That I have given is the authoritative statement of the king. Now, if Ziba... Let's, let's use this for an example, okay? I work for Tim, and Tim's got that stamp. And a survey can't go out without Tim's stamp and, and Josh's notary stamp thing, okay? Can't go out. And if there's something messed up, they've got to restamp it and do it all over again. Well, uh, I can't just take Tim's stamp and then turn around and write my name on it and then just stamp it and say, all right, it's good to go. Because, my, because in, in the realm that he operates in, my name doesn't mean anything. So Ziba couldn't turn around and go, hey, Mephibosheth, guess what? Uh, in a couple of years, uh, David's going to sin and transgress. And so after that, you could just seize upon the opportunity to get the kingdom. Ziba's words don't matter. Does that make sense? Right. Uh, Ziba's words don't matter. So what I'm saying is, is here, Mephibosheth, and, and when he receives this, this, this inheritance, the king says, I have given. And I tried to do a little bit of research of Saul and how he was connected to Benjamin and how he lived in Gibeah. Whenever he got anointed, he was part of the family of Matri. I started trying to see what, was, what, what, what did Mephibosheth really receive whenever he received the king's, the king's inheritance. And I don't really know. And you know what? I don't really know what I'm going to receive from my holy and heavenly king's inheritance either. But you know what? I'm looking forward to it. Man, I'm telling you what, after this life is over, my wife got into a car wreck yesterday. Man, I'm telling you what, and I thought about that, and I was scared for a moment, but I was like, man, if that was me, I'd be looking forward to living in glory land. I can't wait for the day whenever I pass from this life and I go on into the next life and I come into the presence of my great king because there was a day when my king bestowed kindness upon me for another person's sake. In Mephibosheth's case, it was Jonathan's sake, but in my case, it's Christ's sake. Right here, I said it earlier that he was an enemy of the king based upon who he was connected to, but now he receives an inheritance based upon who he was connected to. I said that a minute ago, but I just wanted to cover it again in my thoughts because it's really important there. You see where I'm going with this for a second. Okay? So he receives this inheritance based upon who he was connected to. Now, in Ephesians, it talks about the inheritance that we receive in Christ because we're in Christ. Okay? Before you get in Christ, you didn't know you had an inheritance. If you would have asked me 13 years ago, do you know that you have an inheritance uncorruptible and undefiled? And did you know that you've obtained an inheritance? No, no, I would have said you're crazy. You're nuts. What What am I saying? I'm saying that there was a process in time to which this had to take place in the life of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth wasn't already there and just unconscious of it. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, we know what I'm preaching against? All right, so here it is right here. Here's the king. But not only did the king give him inheritance, but he also placed him in a position of sonship. Look at verse number 10. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in, and thou shalt bring the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, and thy master's son may have food to eat. Right here, but Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Verse number 11, Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. So not only did the king give him an inheritance, but he also placed him in a position of sonship. He says, As for Mephibosheth, he shall. And I thought about that word shall and how it relates to Mephibosheth. Not only does it how it relate to him, but how does that relate to us? 
How does that word shall relate to you and I after we come into the presence of our king? And so here is Mephibosheth, and he gets put, put in a position of sonship, and that word shall, I wrote it down because I like the definition, and I want to get it right. Shall expressing a strong assertion or intention, or in the first person, I like this part, it expresses the future tense. So whenever the king made a declaration about Mephibosheth, he wasn't sitting at the king's table immediately. He said, he shall eat bread all the way at my table to continually, but he wasn't there yet. And I thought about the circumstances in his life, and I thought about Romans. He brought it up earlier, and I thought about, and we know that all things, Paul says this in Romans, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are to be called according to his purpose. Right here. But whom he did foreknow, them he also justified. Right? But that justification had already taken place, but the calling hadn't yet. See, the king knew he was going to call Mephibosheth before Mephibosheth did. And the king knew he was going to call you the day he did before you did. So before Mephibosheth even gets to the table, he says, he shall always eat bread at my table continually before he even got there. And do you know in the sight of God, after the transaction of salvation takes place, it talks about that he's justified, then he also called, he justified, then he also justified, then he also glorified, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that had not taken, he wasn't at the table yet. And until we passed from death into life, we were not conformed to the image of his son as far as the scope of eternity goes. Does that make sense? See, in the mind of God, everything, I mean, we're, we're there, y'all. Once you get saved, you're there. We ain't walking around glorified right now. I mean, in the mind of God, in the scope of eternity, we're already there. We're already glorified with Him. We just have to pass from this life. Does that make sense? And, but, but then I find it interesting that later on, whenever Paul goes down, he says, and what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Man, if God's for you, who can be against you? But if God's against you, who can be for you? Who could be for Saul after God was against him? Amen. And even though Mephibosheth was a layman, who could, be, who could be for Mephibosheth whenever he was an enemy of the king? Even though he was lame, even though he was crippled, even though he was going through adversity. And David, David was a hardened warrior. He would look at, he could look at a lame man and he could choose to bestow kindness or not choose to bestow kindness. He didn't have to bestow kindness upon Mephibosheth. Amen. He was, David was a, hard, was a hardened man. So it wasn't like he just looked at Mephibosheth and was like, well, I just feel bad for him today. But he wanted to bestow the kindness of God upon him for Jonathan's sake. Amen. That's the same thing that our king does for us for Christ's sake. I'm almost done. I'm not going to take too long, but I wrote down some thoughts. I want to make sure I get it right. But that shall expressing it in a future tense. So now Mephibosheth is on his way to the king's table. And... I thought about that in my relation to the king as being a son. And how 1 John says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Right? So what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon you. If you're here and you're born again tonight, what a wonderful treasure it is to be saved in the days in which we live. When I tell people, I, w- I was the most wicked, vilest sinner that, that you know, okay? You're looking, at a, 
You're looking at a wicked sinner. Okay? I was the most wicked, nasty, vile sinner I know. And you know what I tell people whenever they ask me about when I got saved? I tell them I got saved in the great falling away. Where God is almost done. You know, the, the Saul's house was coming to an end. Did you know that? That Saul's house was coming to an end whenever the king called Mephibosheth? He said in verse number 1, Is there any left of the house of Saul? And I tell people that. I got saved in the great falling away. People aren't getting born again like they are. If you have a desire to come to a New Testament Baptist church that really preaches right doctrine, I'd hold on to that as strong as you can. Because that's a, that's a desire that's given by God Almighty Himself. Because people don't possess that desire in them naturally unless they're deceived by some prayer and get a wicked false spirit after the prayer takes place. That's why, you're able, that's why you go to a church and it'll just be filled up, packed to capacity. And you'll come to a church that preaches the gospel and a, a true doctrine and it's dead. You get, you get ten people at church Sunday night. Are they filled up where you go? Not at all, are they? couple things, and I'm almost done. In a position of sonship, I thought about what's available for us at the king's table. First, I want to say this, that we have fellowship with the Father. As a son, this is what's available for you. We have fellowship with the Father. There's a connection. There's a connection that Mephibosheth was able to have with David. Now, David wasn't his father. He wasn't, he wasn't connected to him by blood or in nature. But he was still at the table as one of the king's sons. And he had fellowship with the king. In First John it says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's our fellowship. You know why I go to church here with these people? Because it's centered around Jesus Christ. That's why I go to church here. That's why I fellowship with these people here. Because I believe that it is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with the Father. But not only that, we have a seat next to the Son. So at the table with the king, we have fellowship with the father. But not only that, he said, as one of the king's sons, so we have a seat. We have fellowship with the father, and we have a seat next to the son. And Mephibosheth wasn't worthy of that seat. But the king just gave it to him anyways. Isn't that good? And I began to think about that in the relationship that Mephibosheth had. And he didn't have the same exact relationship as David and king's sons. But what I'm saying is the covenant was upheld not because of who David was and, who be, and, and because of who Mephibosheth was. It was because of who was Jonathan was. That's the reason why the covenant was uphold, upheld. Do you know why you stay saved even after you commit wicked transgressions against God? Or you know why I stay saved after I commit wicked, nasty transgressions against God? Because of who I'm connected to. And he honors his covenant because of who... They're both connected to. So he honors the covenant of Jonathan just as the father honors the covenant of the son. And we have a mediator of a better covenant that was established upon better promises and that you and I are a part of tonight. That's why you stay saved. You don't stay saved because you just choose to do, I'm going to do better this year. I'm going to decide to do better this year and I'm going to not do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to not do that. You're saved because God honors His covenant with His Son. And that's why you're still saved. And that's why Mephibosheth received mercy that day is because David honored his covenant with Jonathan. I'm almost done. So we have a seat next to the Son. But not only that, we'll have a new life in New Jerusalem. This is what we had to look forward to as a son. Whenever Mephibosheth got pulled out, where was he at? He was at Lodabar. 
it was a low place. Lodabar, it's, it, if you if you go back and you read it in, in uh, Samuel or not Samuel, but Joshua or Joshua's day, it means no pasture. And, but if you look at it, Lodabar has multiple various applications. So it could be Lodabar and one uh, no pasture in one place. And really, in this particular context, it's no word or no communication. So it can mean no word. Uh, no pasture or no communication has multiple applications, but they're still the same. He pulled Mephibosheth from a place where there was no word. There was no word. Whenever God delivered you, was there was was there word there? Was there a place where you were able to hear the word? What I'm saying is, is the king put Mephibosheth in the in the place where he was able to hear the word. So he pulls him from Lodabar, and then I thought about that, and then I thought about how we'll have a new life in New Jerusalem, and I thought about and. Colossians, how it says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, that means able, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has translated us from the kingdom of darkness unto the kingdom of his dear son. So because of the king's kindness, he takes Mephibosheth from Lodabar and he translates him into Jerusalem, the house of bread. So he he, he takes him from a place of desolation. He takes him from that place and he brings him to a place of bread. One more thing and then I'm done. And then I thought about all that stuff in a position of sonship. I thought about what's available for us at the king's table. But then I thought about the immutability of the king's oath. Because he had to uphold that covenant. And that's what I was leaning into here a minute. If you would, turn to 2 Samuel 21, 1-7. We're talking about the immutability of the king's oath. 2 Samuel 21. Excuse me. 2 Samuel 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is after this had taken place. Far yonder off in the future. So then there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered and said... It is for Saul and his, for his bloody house, which he slew on the Gibeonites. Now, who's connected to Saul? Mephibosheth. David, you know, David showed him kindness. David showed other people kindness, and then later on, uh, he showed Shimei kindness, and then what happened to him later on? It, that covenant wasn't upheld. It was broken. Shimei got killed. What was it, by Solomon? What I'm saying is, is here, and the Lord answered, is for Saul and for his bloody house, he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal, the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, he's trying to make reconciliation right here. And he said, What shall I... What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make an atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We have no silver or gold of the house of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us. Thou shalt kill any man in Israel. And he said, What shall you say that will I do for you? So now the king's fixing to make an oath. We're talking about the immutability of the king's oath. He made an oath several years ago that he upheld and showed kindness unto Mephibosheth. This is several years down the road. Right here. And the king, let seven men of the house of be delivered unto us, and we will hang them unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the king did choose, or who, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. So here it is, the remainder of the people that are left after Saul's house years down the road, he's fixing to cut off, he's fixing to stop. You can, you can really take that and run with it figuratively. But he, the house of Saul is fixing to be cut off. 
And right here, the king, rightly so, even though he made a covenant with Jonathan, still the king could say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, dishonor Mephibosheth. I'm not going to uphold the king. Now, I want to say this, that this is far after, I want to just point this out, this was far after that had taken place, right? So after the king comes back, he says, Wherefore, wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth, whenever Absalom was taken over the kingdom? We're talking about why you stay saved. He said, Why didn't you go with me, Ab- or why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he said, My servant deceived me. He didn't go. And we don't know who's right or who's wrong. Who's Ze- if Zebra's right or if, if Mephibosheth is wrong. I'm going somewhere with this. What I'm saying is David, David in a discerning spirit, could have said, Mephibosheth, you didn't go with me whenever Absalom... You didn't, you didn't go with me whenever Absalom took over the kingdom. You didn't honor your part. Why should I honor? But the king didn't do that. Right. And what I'm saying, because if it was a fault of Mephibosheth, it might not have been. But if it was, the king did not discontinue the covenant that he made with Jonathan. Right. And the king doesn't do that for us whenever we make a mistake. If Mephibosheth really did make a mistake. Right. See what I'm saying? Then right here. I'm almost done. Two more things and I'm almost done. And they answered the king, devised against us, let seven of his sons, verse number six, be delivered. We will hang them and the Lord in Gibeah. And he did choose, and the king said, I will give him. But right here, and the king spared Mephibosheth. He spared him. All right, now turn to Hebrews uh, chapter six. Hebrews chapter number six. It's talking about the immutability that kings owe. Now, it's just what I've seen. I've seen salvation, inheritance, and sonship, but he wasn't regenerated. He didn't receive an internal inheritance. See what I'm saying? But you understand. But right here in Hebrews chapter number 6, look at verse number 13. We're talking about the immutability of the king's oath. Of course, we're referring to the heavenly king when I make that application. For when God made promise to Abraham, he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Right here. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath, a confirmation is to them to an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath. That it was by two mutable things it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have right here as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth that into within the veil. Within the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. So what I'm saying is, is, the king upheld his covenant with Jonathan about Mephibosheth, though he was an enemy. And your king upholds his covenant with Christ because he's an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. That's why he upholds that covenant, not because of our desires for the next year, even though we should have some. I got a few. I'm probably not going to keep them. But you understand what I mean? The king kept the oath because of the immutability of his oath. That's what our king does for us in the new covenant. That's why we stay saved. So things I see in 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Salvation, inheritance, and sonship.